Welcome to Finding Your Way, a podcast designed with survivors in mind. Conversations on this show help guide listeners toward finding solutions for safety and support as they navigate life from being a victim to becoming a survivor of violence. I'm your airtime advocate, Sarah Smith, and I represent a team of professionals from Care Lodge Domestic Violence Shelter, home based in Meridian, Mississippi. Hi, thank you for joining us today. I have my friend here with us, Ms. Erica Glover, and I'm just going to let her share a little bit of what's been on her heart, her story, what she's been through, and kind of where she's at nowadays. So Erica, you take the floor. Thank you for having me, and I'm just so excited to have the opportunity to share. Um, Just a quick story about me. Um, I have been married, and I've been divorced twice. Um, I was in an abusive relationship twice. And so the way that I healed through this situation was to put it in writing. So I wrote a book about it. Um, My first marriage, it was approximately 11 years. It was physically abusive. Um, Two children came out of it. In the book, I kind of talk about what I went through as far as raising children, how I felt, um, the cycles that I went through. Um, the torment, the mind games, all of these things. But at the same time, I talked about how I came out of it, how I healed through it, how I got help, how I was ashamed, but then not ashamed. So, and then my second marriage um, was not physically abusive. It was emotionally and mentally abusive. And again, I talked about the cycles. I talked about the warning signs, the red flags that were there, but I ignored them thinking this or thinking that, but um, I talked about how I came out of that as well and the lessons I learned. And one of the biggest things that I learned out of it, communication is number one, Um, not only within a relationship, but if you're in a crisis, you have to know how to relate to other people. You have to communicate. Nobody should suffer alone. We weren't meant to be on this earth alone. So I just wrote this book because I wanted women and men. There are men who do go through abusive situations that you don't have to go through that alone. And to know your value, you don't have to. This book covers approximately, I would say, 17 years of my life. And I narrowed it down to 30, 40 something pages. And um, I just really wanted people to understand that there is no shame in what you go through, even if it is just awful, terrible. And I think that's the reason why a lot of people suffer in silence, because they feel ashamed or they're embarrassed. And I want to remove that stigma that there is help out there. It's not your fault. And uh, it's not you. So just go and seek help and um, just live your life. Life doesn't stop just because something bad happens. Thank you so much for sharing that because that is so true. And I know before the call, you and I were talking about how I literally went through this book and just about (laughs) highlighted the whole entire thing. There's so much conviction and truth in in what you wrote and how you lived a life in a fishbowl. I mean, you were connected in relationships that were in the spotlight people that were in ministry and involved in in community work and people who looked at these people as iconic in their life, their own spiritual growth, looked to them for advice, probably went to them for relationship issues or counseling. Yes, yes, absolutely. So I cannot imagine, 
I can, how many personal and professional barriers you had to face and overcome. And I mean, you didn't even, in the book, you didn't really go deep into it, but I know you went through it. The struggle with the church family and church body probably saying mean things to you or didn't support you, but you did highlight that there were some really good, strong pillars in your life from your church body who did stand alongside you and supported you, like helping you with childcare or um, blessed you and your children with, I'm just going to say different blessings, just coming Mm -hmm. along the way. So there were glimmers of hope along the way for you. And those little bright spots fuel you to the next moment and it gives you the encouragement that you need to keep going. And not everybody has the same um, story or background or supportive sources that you did, but I love how you unpacked all of that and how similar those two stories of survival were and how the family members never did tell you Hmm, you may want to be careful here because there's some issues that have gone on. And I think that's natural because as a mother of two boys, man, I have trouble trying to imagine that conversation that I would have if if my sons were displaying behavior that was unhealthy and saying, hey, future wifey, um, you might want to rethink this one, you know, and or just kind of, hey, look out, they're taking medicine for this and just pay close attention because sometimes they get imbalanced. And that's a kind of way to share, but it's that social stigma of my, my kid's not crazy maybe, or things like that. And what a great segue, July is Minority Mental Health Month. And so many of my professional colleagues have said, we need to talk about this because there's some, there's already stigma there for mental health and getting help, but it's, it's a little bit different for different cultures. Exactly. That's true. Do you have any insight on that? Um, well, as far as mental health and because of what I do as a profession, I'm a nurse practitioner. So I work in the healthcare field. One of my colleagues explained it to me very well. And it opened my eyes that mental health is like, or being mentally ill is the equivalent. They treat it the same way as diabetes or high blood pressure. Um, There's no stigma behind it. There's medicine, the treatment, there's counseling to take care of it. There's education that you get. So they treat it the same way. So we have to remove the stigma of people getting help because of mental illness, or maybe people fear, oh, you're crazy. Oh, you're bipolar or you're narcissistic. That's a a health issue. The same way you go to a doctor for high blood pressure, you go to the doctor for mental illness. So I think it's important that we encourage people to go get counseling. There's nothing wrong with counseling. There are people who go to school to get degrees and they pay money to be counselors and to be therapists. So there's nothing wrong with, if you go to the doctor for your high blood pressure, you can go to the doctor for depression or mental illness. So, and I think so much, and especially for myself, and I can't speak for every black person in America, but in the African-American community, there's such a stigma behind it because um, closed doors, we don't tell what goes on in our house. You don't go out and tell people, oh, this is what you're going on, or you're crying all day, or you're struggling with this. That's just a stigma because you're supposed to be strong and tall and broad and don't show weakness. That's a lie. That's not the truth. That's not real life. 
because we're humans and because we fall short and because we don't do everything right, you're going to have issues. You're going to get in those areas of depression or sadness or even making bad choices like myself, making decisions that were not the wisest things to do. And one of the biggest things to solving a problem is to acknowledge that you did it, own it. You did, I did this, I made these choices. I made these mistakes. I decided this, even though I did see the red flags, I walked in it anyway. But the only way to get through it is to accept it and to own it and say, yes, I did this. How can I not make this same mistake again? And I think that's one of the biggest things in our community about just the stigma. It's bad, you're weak if you do admit that you need help. And we've got to erase that because just think about it. You could be so much healthier and so much happier if you just go get the help or just talk to somebody. Having a therapist is great. You've got somebody to talk to and just let it all out. And a third person, you know, who can give you an objective point of view that will help you through your situation. You call your friend, you call your uh, family, call somebody who's especially trained in that area who can lead you in the right direction. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Men, women, or children is necessary. We all need some type of therapy at one point in our lives or another. Definitely. And I'm, I've been there myself. Um, anxiety, like real, some for real anxiety is something that I struggle with to the point sometimes of even just messing with my skin, just pinching myself to distract from the feeling on the inside. I mean, it's a real thing. And that's something that you have to consciously be aware of that you are doing or falling victim to like your own thoughts and mind and processing. But um, I love in your book how you in the section titled Rewind, you do walk the reader through some simple, simple steps quickly about letting somebody know about what you're going through, letting somebody in, letting somebody sow into your life and allowing yourself to win and being okay with that. Exactly. And I think what stops people from doing that is pride, embarrassment. I don't want to let people in. I don't want to let people know that I'm, I had a weakness or that I messed up or they're going to look at me stupid and I had to get over it. For me, it was a point of survival. If you want to live, you got to go get some help. Yeah. And that's where I was. And I'm not ashamed to say it because I'm sitting here right now on the other side. Mm -hmm. And if I had not reached out and got help or let people in, I wouldn't be where I am today. So I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed about it. My whole purpose is to help other people see that. Yes, you go through situations, but you can come out in the end and you can win. Mm -hmm. And you say, um, I'm not going to quote it verbatim. I'll mess it up if I try. (laughs) But, you know, you said something along the effect of this doesn't have to be who you are in the future. You know, this isn't the sum of who you are, what you, what you experienced, you know, that is just part of your past and a contributing factor to who you are today. In that same section, the rewind section, you talk about identifying your support system. And that is one of the very first things that at Care Lodge, we talk to people, I'll call them visitors or guests that come in and they're trying to figure out what their next step should be. We're like, okay, who is in your corner fighting for you right now? And if they have somebody, we have a conversation around that. But if they don't, like what you were discussing in your book, encouraging them to start building that support circle, that foundation of when you have a bad day, you can lean in on their strengths and their support 
And Care Lodge, as an agency, we offer ourselves to be part of that circle if they would like that to be. We don't push any agenda. We don't make them do anything. And having a counselor or an advocate fighting for you in your corner, like what you were talking about, your counselor was encouraging to you, didn't tell you what to do, but they saw into your life and spoke life into you. Yes, told so you and affirmed you that you were already doing things that you weren't even realizing. You were already making it. You are already doing it and doing a good job, doing the best you possibly could. And I was like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and I just kept reading and reading and reading. But so many people get caught, Erica, in this pattern. And, and you didn't mean for it to happen. No, you, were chasing, you were chasing men that you believed in and that were aligned with your goals as a, a, a partner. And you were looking for a godly man who showed strength and was, you know, had that business strong mentality, that support. But the digging in, you, you mentioned looking into the background. How do they treat their mama? Exactly. That's number one. <laughs> <laughs> if they don't treat their mamas right, you better hit the door. Because your mother, even if they've had issues with their mother in the past, or maybe they weren't the best mother, if they don't have the respect for their mother, the woman who birthed them, that's a big red flag. And in my opinion, there is no excuse for mistreating your mother, no matter what happened. Even if, you know, she just had a bad life, you know, just gave you a bad life. There still has to be some level of respect. If you cannot sit in the same room with your mother as a man, what do you think he's going to do to you? That's one lesson that I bought. Mm -hmm. We don't think about that when we're going through it. We're like, well, I ain't his mama. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. But if he can't respect his mama, he can't respect you because she was the first woman he came in contact with. And if he can't respect her, he will not respect you. No matter how the honeymoon phase goes, when it's all over, He's going to treat you just like he treated her. So that's one lesson that I did learn. One of many, you know, he has to respect the women in his life already and dig deep, check the background, you know, with other people, what were the prior relationships like? And yeah. I know as women, we don't like to go back and, you know, go talk to the ex-girlfriend or whatever, this, that, and other, but you need to have some type of contact, even if it's indirectly. And I, I found that if, 10 people are saying the same thing. You might want to look into it because there may be some inch of truth to it. So um, I'm not saying go run here and get this information, get that information. But if you keep hearing the same story over and over, you need to look into it. So I think that's so important. You mentioned in your book, and I don't want to give too much away because I want people to read it. There's a portion where you mention how both of your husbands had some things going on in their childhood that were unresolved. In the professional realm, we might refer to that as an adverse childhood experience or just some things that rebellion or, you know, things like that. Um, you mentioned mental health that just were not um, taking care of or managed well. And I have found in my early in my career at Care Lodge, I worked with the offenders program and realized that a lot of them had a lot of things in common. The majority of them had things that happened in their childhood that they didn't get help for and had several adverse childhood experiences present. In saying that, I know that they are people just like me and you exactly. who have exactly. been hurt that have not healed and they carry that hurt and that pain with them 
and it spills off into their next generation. And would you speak to that too, that intergenerational effect that it has raising your children up in a home, waiting for them to grow up? You mentioned that and how that is unhealthy to think that way. Sticking together for the kids can be dangerous for everyone involved. Right, right. And as a mother, I know I didn't want to, so to speak, have the blood on my hands of thinking that I kept my children in a home that was unhealthy. And then when they become adults, they will act out or behave in the ways they saw modeled in front of them. And I knew that it would be healthy for them, even if I was a single parent, to be in a home that was loving and where there was free communication instead of being in a home where there were two adults who never talked to each other or either there was always fussing and fighting, everybody's on eggshells. That's not healthy. And I didn't want my children to take that into their relationships as their adults. So I had to make a decision. This is what's the most important to me is my children because I'm responsible for them. They depend on me. So I have to make sure I give them what I have so they can be healthy adults. So the cycle won't repeat itself. And I think as women, we get lost in that. And like you said, I've heard so many women say, and I've had friends who've been in, you know, bad marriages or relationships. I'm just going to stay until they get grown. I'm going to stay until they graduate from high school. But y'all arguing arguing every night, fighting every night. You're on the phone. He didn't come home for three days and you're miserable. The children pick up on that. So why would you want that vibe? Why would you want that in your house? Get in a place where you have peace. And then the next thing is you think, if I leave, I won't be okay. I won't be able to pay the bills. I won't be able to feed the kids. There is a way. There is always a way. You can't let the unknown stop you from doing what you know you need to do. There is always help. You just have to go out there and look for it. Somebody's there to help. It's it's just as Carelodge. There are many organizations out there that will help. And like you were talking about earlier, the support system. And I found also with abusers, they have a tendency to isolate. So they can be the ones who are in charge of your thinking and not you. So in most people's families, your family is going to take care of you. They've got your back. They knew you from day one. But when you are with an abuser, they know your family is going to see things in them that possibly you won't see or that you're going to overlook. And they're going to magnify it and say, hey, I saw how he talked to you. We didn't like that. or You're not letting him do this. The abuser knows that. So what they will do is isolate you or turn you against your old family. And that's what happened to me. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, they don't support you or they don't do this or they're always saying this about you. So I distanced myself. But that was a plan to get me by myself, to brainwash, so to speak, to make me believe this, you know, I'm the only way you can make it. And I believed that for a short amount of time, but something rose up in me and say, hey, I wasn't raised this way. I don't believe that. I know there's more in me. I've got to come out of this. There is a way. So I had to be strategic going back to school and making sure I was able to handle things myself as far as, you know, finances and so forth, just getting myself prepared for what was to come. I didn't know how I was going to get there, but I knew I had to prepare. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. Um, You were talking about community resources. I know here in Meridian, the local colleges have special programs for single or widowed parents. I mean, I didn't know about that when I was attending these local colleges, but I I wasn't in need for that. So to know that if you're going through a situation, 
and there's a roadblock or a stumbling block that comes along your way, speak to your academic advisors, speak to your supervisor at work, because there are programs out there, workplace programs to help protect you. There are agencies that are just made for just that purpose to help you increase your safety and support your wellness and your, your goals. So being afraid to ask or, or share, disclose what you're going through, you don't have to tell them your whole story. Just let them know that you're having trouble and you want to have your goal met. And a lot of times I've seen the support there. Kind of looking back at your fast forward chapter, I, I wrote out a question. I said, why do you believe it was so natural for you to revert back to living to make your spouse happy? because that has been something that you had already gone through. And then you came through this huge monument of self-discovery in getting closer to God, walking closer in your faith and being really steadfast and coming out strong. And then you found yourself doing that again. And this is very common for people who have been through abusive situations. But before my pen left the paper, girl, you answered my question three sentences <laughs> later. And I wrote, because my love of helping people and willingness to sacrifice myself took precedence over good judgment, which allowed me to slip back into the place in which I was once set free. Bam. And that's right. You, you have a love for people and you wanted to see the best in them come out. And that is a gift that you have. And you're a nurse. I mean, you're doing this for a profession. You're trying to help people heal. And so you were practicing your giftedness like you were designed to do. It just so happens that at the moment, they weren't reciprocating what you were trying to do. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's important to use wisdom. Mm. And I think that's where a lot of us um, make mistakes or we fail because we don't think things through or in a relationship, we see the surface value. Like you say, you don't, we don't dig deep and see those underlying issues. We don't wait long enough to let time pass and observe how people walk through the seasons of their life. Of course, it played a huge factor in that moving too fast um, and just wanted to help. And even looking at it now, maybe it was just meant to be a friendship and a helping relationship and not a marriage. So I look at it, it is what it is. Wow, you just paralleled something. I was listening to a podcast from Fresh Life Church and they were talking about relationship intelligence and how sometimes there are people that are meant to be in your life for a certain position and timing and it's gotta be synced up. And you just said it. I mean, maybe they were meant to be just a friendship to um, uplift one another. But if you got too close to that person, that's when all those things started unfolding, which is also common with abusive relationships. When you are first courting or dating, talking for the younger folks, everybody's on their A game. They're charming and Absolutely. perfect. And then when you feel like you are in the relationship, whether it's dating or marriage, they start to unveil some things about themselves slowly over time. And so, and I heard through your second marriage, that was kind of what happened. It was hopeful and it was good. But then over time, the way that they dealt with life and everyday stressors, they didn't know how to cope with that stuff. That's it. Mm -hmm. They didn't Absolutely. have the resilience that they needed to deal with life and the challenges that we face every day. A lot of the things that you brought up weren't major things. It was like bills. 
or budgeting. Financial abuse is one of the number one reasons why people stay in a relationship, right. but also one of the top contributing factors toward toxicity building up in a relationship. Exactly. Man, this, this book is just full of good nuggets. There was nothing I read in here that was not something I have not heard from several people that have dealt with similar things that you have gone through. And I'm so glad that you brought your story to life through the written word because it's, it's a safe way to explore what you're dealing with. And at the end of each chapter, having those reflective questions, I loved it. Let's talk about it, right? And you, you point back to things that you unpack in your chapters and you challenge the reader and you say, hey, how is this applying to you? How are your relationships right now? And can you see yourself in my story? And you invite them in on your walk and you challenge them to look at it for face value. Can you bring any insight to what you have gone through? I mean, you've, you've done this in a resilient way and it was no easy battle to be one, but you've come out on the other end and you're aspiring to empower other people through mentorship. Yes. You're on Facebook and you do these talks that, you know, people can join in on and just feel encouraged and supported. Do you, do you mind sharing a little bit about what life looks like for you now? Freedom. That is the one word that sums it up for me. Um, being able to be in a place where I can think for myself, where I can be free to make my own decisions and they're good decisions because I've had the growth and the wisdom to do just that. Um, not searching for the approval of somebody else. That was a, another big thing that it feels like being in charge of my own life instead of letting somebody else do it. And it feels great. When I first came out of that glass bowl, as you spoke, it was a euphoria, a total shock. I didn't know what this felt like. Here I am in my age, and this is the first time in a long time that I felt that way. So it feels absolutely fantastic. And I'm in a place now, I will not let anything else stop that. Once you have this great feeling and once you have the wisdom and the knowledge of how to do this and how to do that, you can't go back. It's like you're eating a steak. Why would you go back and eat a piece of bologna? You've yeah. had this taste of something great. So I'm going to stay right here. I'm not going to go for a sloppy seconds. So it helps. You know, that's the best analogy I can think of. feels like I'm breathing in fresh air. And it, I can feel it go all the way down my lungs and all the way out. When I know that I used to wear my pain, you can see it. I used to wear my depression. I used to wear my oppression. You could see it on me. And then, especially the people who are closer to me, my family, you just look different. You look so good. You, there's a light about you. Yes, it's called freedom. It's called peace. And it is, um, that's the best way I can explain it. Freedom and being at peace with myself and just having just pure joy in where I am in life and actually having dreams. And mm -hmm. I just think about... I haven't, in 17, 20 years, I've never had big dreams. Like, I want to go move here. I want to go do this. I want to go do that. Right now, I'm doing things I never even dreamed of doing. This is just a small thing, writing a book. It's a big thing, but it's a small thing. It's a small book. It's a quick read. It's not intimidating. But to put myself all the way out there, to bear everything that was painful and embarrassing to me, but I knew this is what I had to do so my heart could heal. 
this is what I can do because I knew I wasn't the only one suffering. And I don't want anybody else to go through what I went through just to keep up an image, just to satisfy somebody else. That is unacceptable. So I don't want anybody else to do that. That's where my heart is. You shouldn't. And you're worth more than that. You have to know your value. It's so important. And at that time, I didn't know my value. I let somebody else dictate what, what my value was. And that's why I just became a doormat. I allowed somebody else to tell me that. But once I woke up and I realized I'm valuable, I can do a lot of things. And I'm going to do them and nobody's going to stop me from doing it. I want to be productive in life and just, instead of just sitting here and taking orders and being in the background. I don't, that's not me anymore. That's not the person I was created to be. No matter what reason you come up with, it's not good enough. It's unacceptable. Being a woman of faith, I could imagine that people threw scripture references at you about divorce and remarrying, and I just see you cringing already, girl. Oh my God. Can you yes. talk a little bit about the misuse of scripture as it applies to health and relationships and safety? Yes. Um, the one scripture that I know, I've heard you're out of order, um, you're outside of God's will, and you're doing this. I've heard that all the time. But how could that be true if I feel the way I feel, if I'm being physically and mentally and emotionally abused? How can it be right? That's not God's will for my life. So the scripture, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Christ did not take, you know, the church. He did not steal money from his life. He did not, he was not emotionally or physically or verbally abusive to his wife. A man should love his wife as Christ loves the church. And if Christ didn't do that to the church, why would a man do that to you? Hmm. That summed it up for me in a nutshell. So when people are preaching Ephesians 5, we say, did you read the whole chapter? Right, exactly, exactly. Or the whole book. I asked you that because being from the South, faith plays a huge impact on how our worldview and the way that we make a decision. Even if we only go to church on Easter and Christmas, the Southern way is very much so ingrained in spirituality. And when somebody uses spirituality as a tactic of power and control, even <laughs> people who are supposed to be your support circle in your, in your faith circle, it can mess you up. It's called manipulation. Yes. Mm -hmm. I've been there, done that, and I wrote a book. So yeah. <laughs> 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 yes. I need to get that t-shirt made. That's right. <laughs> There's just so much good stuff in that book. And I'm so excited about some of the ideas that you have moving forward. I went on Facebook to your group and just kind of clicked around and, and saw how you guys show up and meet. I love how you have the cool intro music. And it's yes, just funky life. Yeah. <laughs> you want to talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, two um, friends of mine, Rhonda and Mary, um, we all come from different walks of life, but we have a commonality, which is faith. We bring our life experiences and we've all been through traumatic experiences in some form or another, but we brought that together and we said, you know, we're really tired of people telling us, hey, this is the way it's supposed to be, but we know they're living another lifestyle. 
So we wanted to create a platform where we could express ourselves and not only that, allow a safe place, a safe platform to discuss topics that are um, important to our community and to people that we can be honest about and not only just talk about it, but have solutions as well. It's one thing to talk, but if you have solutions or how to get through, that's a whole new ball game. And that's mm -hmm. what we wanna do. So it's called Life in Sync, and we're on Facebook Live and YouTube Live every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. And like I said, we're just free. We interact with our audience. We talk about different subjects. Of course, spirituality is a big part of it. And just being real, real talk, real, real women, real conversations. That's what we're talking about. Um, nothing is off limits. We just want to be real because we know what we've been through and we don't want to create this facade like everything is perfect. Yes, we are successful and we, the way it looks on the outside, but we want to show people, hey, it's not always been perfect, but this is how we got here or this is how we can help and encourage somebody else to do what they can do, you know, to meet their potential or max out on their potential. So it's not that we're so great, but we just want to help people. That's the bottom line. You know, we want to be in a position that we can help people, allow people to feel safe to talk and to encourage others to go forth and just do you, do you in yeah, a good yeah. way. <laughs> just like we're just sitting around in the backyard talking. That's what it feels like. Just friends hanging out and everybody else comes in and gives their points. So we really enjoy it. And we hope that um, other people tune in and, you know, just kind of hang out with us for a little while. And I'm so glad you are a bright spot on the internet because it is so emotionally overwhelming to be a part of any social media platform right now because of everything that our communities are facing with coronavirus and injustice and all sorts of heavy, heavy gravitational pulls downward. To know that there's people out there that are shining light and that there is hope for a better future. We just have to be respectful toward one another, be equally yoked in our relationships, be on the same page. You did mention that too and how you have to really, really be aware of your relationship and how they just work or don't work. You, you know? have to be honest with yourself too. Yeah. Tell me what that looks like when you're thinking about dating somebody, and especially for the young folks too, you're really interested in somebody, they do match up with your goals in a, in a partner. Um, what are some practical things that somebody could do early on in their stages of right before they start dating to figure out if this person is going to bring them down or lift them up? That's a great question. Um, things that I wish I would have known or would have done. Let's see. How many do we want to talk about? But <laughs> of course, you want to know how do they treat their mother? That's number one. How well do they get along with their family and their circle? That's key too. How do they relate to other people? Um, another important thing, how do they resolve conflict? Really important. Do they just you know, just go all off and start just shouting and they can't handle it. They storm off. Do they punch walls? Do they, are they introverts? They just pull back. I don't want to talk to anybody, you know, and it's for two weeks before you hear from them again. That's not normal either. Be honest with yourself. If you see something that they do and you don't like it, don't just dismiss it. 
You need to pay attention and make a mental note because that could become a pattern. If they are, you know, if they ha have an anger issue and it's not at you, but they don't know how to handle, handle themselves well, and you see it's a, com a consistent pattern. Every time this happens, they do this. Pay attention to it. Be honest. Don't just dismiss it. Oh, he just got mad because of that, or um, he'll never do that to me. Never, ever think that never ever so those are some key things conflict resolution how do they how are their relationships with other people and let time go by dig into the family as well you know watch their relationships with the family the family wants the best for their own family but if you hang around long enough the truth is going to come out so make some very accurate observations especially around that family how do they interact sooner or later the facades are going to come off and they're just going to start being real and the first place they're going to be real is around their family. So I think that's important to look at that. So no missionary dating, right? Right, right. <laughs> you can't date people in hopes that we'll fix them. I know a lot of exactly. people joke about um, how good girls like to date bad boys, but mm, I don't know about all that. But, and it's almost challenging to some people, like, you know, that person needs to see what love is really like. So if good me dates them and shows them what real love is like, then they'll change. And that's not true. Not true. And if they're behaving a certain way before you got married, most likely you're not going to change them. And it's going to be 10 times not saying worse or more when you get married. So you can't anticipate, oh, I can do this. I can change them. You don't know what issues, underlying issues are there. You don't know 20 years ago what they went through and how they've processed through it or if they have not processed through it. So if they're doing it before they get married, most likely, yes, people change. Yes, do people learn and they do better. But if you see bad behavior before, don't think it's going to change after. It's probably going to increase. What do you think is a safe way to help somebody if they start disclosing early on in a dating relationship that they went through some really serious traumas or that you've picked up on a bunch of those red flags and, and you know they probably need some professional help? How do you maybe start that conversation in a kind way? Um, I think reflection you know, I noticed the other day, this is how you handled, this is what you said or did. Did you realize you did that? Is it a reason that you did that or what made you do that? Do you realize how it made that other person feel? Do you realize that, you know, what it really looked like? You know, and then hopefully you can progress on and say, well, you know, maybe we can talk to somebody. I'll go with you if that be the case. And if they're not willing to get help, mm, that's a red flag. If they're not willing to go out and get help before you're married, what makes you think they're going to want help after you're married? It, they're set in their ways. And like I said, this is not 100% every case, but in most cases, I think that is true. So encourage that person to get help. I definitely agree with you, especially if you're aware of patterns in their life where they've done the same kinds of things over and over or reacted the same way over and over. It is very hard on the adult end of things to start unpacking and resolving some of those inner conflicts that have happened over time or during childhood that's still unresolved. It doesn't just change overnight. It takes a long time for people to heal. I've known people who have maybe been through a bad natural disaster 
And if they see something on TV where it's similar situation, like a tornado or something's on, they'll fast forward through it. And it's like, whoa, whoa, why'd you fast forward through that? That's the good part. And they're like, ah, it just makes me kind of cringy on the inside. And, it, and it's hard for me to watch things like that. Or an abuse scene when you're watching a movie and just all of a sudden you've got a really intense fight between loved ones or, or child abuse. And you're just like, oh, I'm very sensitive here. That can be a sign like, hey, you do you want to talk about how that made you feel and not to be a counselor or nothing right right just to unpack why and to learn and be wise about their response because that could be your sign here's your sign that if they're not emotionally intelligent or not even intentionally but not handle life well with you that's so important like i said it's important to be honest with yourself and just own it. Okay, something's not quite right with this person. And hey, you may have even gotten to the point of setting a date to get married. Mm -hmm. You know, Ooh. you know what? <laughs> Been there or done that, wrote the book once again. The signs were all there. But you know what? It's a lot easier emotionally, financially to cancel that wedding and all these arrangements beforehand. Next. Than to go through five years, two years of pulling hair and all this other foolishness. So you'll come out better. Hey, if you just have to walk away in a dress, that's fine. But save yourself the emotional drama and trauma. Save it. It's not worth it. Hey, you everybody can sell that on Amazon. Okay. Yes, ma'am. That's right. Mm -hmm. So if you're seeing red flags before, don't think you're superwoman and you're going to change somebody. No, this you're just seeing the top of the mountain. There's so much more up under here. So you can't resolve all those problems. So not saying if somebody has an issue, kick them to the curb. It can't be fixed. Yeah. No yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, but if they're not willing to get help, I think you need to rethink that. You really That's do. Really good advice. Really good. Of course, it's going to stink to cancel a wedding. And yeah, of course. We're going to ask you what happened. You get cold feet and all sorts of foolish talk. Mm -hmm. But you're right. You just go through with that and suffer through turmoil for the next however long. Exactly. People are going to talk no matter what. But this is your life. You don't want to waste time if you don't have to. You want to make good decisions. You don't want to put yourself through turmoil if you don't have to. And like I said, I'm not, I'm an advocate of marriage. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. It's not like I don't, you know, I get divorced if he's doing, no, that's not what I'm saying. I just want people to know that, hey, if you see the flags, don't just go through something because everybody is looking or because of the status or because of who you're connected to or who's going to, forget all that mess. Yeah. You got to live your life in peace. And to give yourself grace with that too, yes, because yes. there might've been things that you didn't see on the front end of stuff that closer to that date, you're, you're seeing that exposure that the layers are coming undone and you're just like, whoa, 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 whoa. And you're like, dang, do I follow through with this? Or maybe even settling for someone yes. mm -hmm. because you don't want to be alone or alone with kids or you're terrified of dying as a lonely single person i think a lot of people get in relationships because of that too so true but you have to have peace within you have to have the joy on the inside you're thinking oh, i don't have children i'm approaching 40 and i've never been married so what go live your life 
go travel, you work, save your money, go do that stuff, have friends, meet people, you still can have a good life. And not saying this is the end or I'll never get remarried, nothing like that. But live your life. Live, of course, today. Don't think, don't create these situations in your mind. Oh, I'm going to be 65 years old and single and an old maid. Don't think like that. But that's how some people think, well, I just settle for this. I'll settle for him. I'll just put up with the mess because, you know, this is, I want to look like the rest of my friends. Your peace is not worth it if you have to sit in the house with somebody who doesn't talk to you or who's screaming at you. I mean, you can sit at home and watch TV and go with your friends or travel and be just as happy. So, or you can just date and have fun, you know, just living your life. Yeah. Instead of being tied down to a person who is not healthy for you. That's just really important not to settle. I just love our conversation. I could go on and on. I don't know. It's so freeing. So uplifting. I love it. I don't get the pleasure of seeing somebody on the other side of things. A lot of times we see people in the midst of their trauma and the abuse happening and they're scared to death and they don't know what move to make next. And that's why I'm so glad to have people on like you that share hope and share encouragement and say, look, you're good enough as you are, you have worth, you have value, and you have to believe in yourself. That's not a selfish thing to take care of yourself or to protect yourself from someone who says love and their actions of love don't match up. Right. And to be aware of those things, to be aware of yourself, to listen to your gut when your gut says go, G-O. Get out of there mm -hmm. right, right now. <laughs> but yes, we can, you can do it. If anything, I want to tell people, know your value and just know you can do it. Mm -hmm. Don't let all the no's and the naysayers or the finger pointing, no, you can't. Don't let that take precedent over your good sense. You know what's in you. You know you can do this. Mm -hmm. And once you get out there, there will be somebody out there to help you. You can make it through all of it. Yes. And all the references that we've been talking about, like your, your group that you do on YouTube and Facebook, how they can get your book. We'll have details about that in the show notes, but is there anything you would like to share about how people can get in touch with you or how they can order your book? Absolutely. Um, you can go on my website. It's um, erica-glover.org or my book is available on Amazon and it's called Push Play. Like I said, it's a quick read. It's not intimidating. And of course, if you want to get in touch with me, you can hit me up on Facebook, Erica Glover or YouTube, or you can just, you know, send me an email through my webpage and I will get back with you. I want to help people to live their best life. So it's time to push play and get to it. That's right, girl. I'm so looking forward to doing more work with you and seeing how your story can bless the people that cross paths in both of our circles of influence. That's it. I mean, we've, I'm, we've talked about everything from the moon and back, <laughs> and I'm just so excited to, to share this. Thank you all for joining us, and we're wrapping it up. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for Finding Your Way. Remember, you are the expert of your situation and help is only a phone call away. Be safe and love one another. If you want to know more about what was shared on today's podcast, check out the links provided in the show notes or visit us online at carelodge.com. Make sure to follow Care Lodge on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. If you need help, call 601-693-4673. That's 601-693-HOPE. 
If you're not in the East Central Mississippi area, you can call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. That's 1-800-799-7233.